buddy, what's up? You know, I guess for most of these kids, they probably don't know that, but that was a spoof off of some Budweiser commercials where a bunch of young guys are doing the what's up and stuff like that, but I just thought it's funny. But, you know, that commercial leads me to the point that I'm trying to make is, is that all of us are wanting to live the good life. You know, and I love what he said at the end, just living the life, you know, drinking some prune juice. And, you know, I mean, for him at that point in time in his life, that means he made it. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes you go on mission trips and, you know, I won't mention names, so I just got to look. But, you know, you might, we used to carry little little packets of prunes, you know, in individual wraps. But, you know, nothing helps sometimes, so, but. But we all, I digress, we all, man, y'all, I'm sorry, I really am. I mean, I know God had a message for Lee to share with us, Um, and I believe in what God's put on my heart to say, I just don't have confidence in the presentation of it, so uh, we're just going to walk through and trust that if God can use a donkey, I might have a fighting chance, so... But, you know, kids dream about it. When you're, when you're a small child, you know, you dream about what you want to be when you grow up. And, and um, Garrett, we were at, uh, we were at his uh, grandparents' day, and, and his dream was he wanted to be a church worker. You know, I remember Caleb and Cecily, uh, you know, we lived at the church, uh, at, at Oak Grove Baptist Church in Burleson, Texas, while I was in seminary. And so their playground was the church. Uh, Cecily and Caleb both learned how to ride their bikes in the fellowship hall. We had a really big fellowship hall, and, and you know, on Wednesday nights we would empty it all out, and that's where they learned to ride their bike. And I, that's, I, if it rained and I coached Caleb's U4 soccer, we did soccer practice in there and, you know, all those types of things. And so Caleb would get up, and while we were cleaning, he would preach, and Cecily would sing, and, you know, and, and just pretending to what he wants to be. We dream about that as youth. You know, you make, begin to make plans, you know, you begin to talk about where you want to go, what do you want to be, what do you want to do, and you begin to think about those things and hopefully plan towards those things and, and all that. And as adults, you know, we try to make those come true. We're in search of the good life. We spend lots of time and money and energy pursuing what we believe is to be the good life, and it's really different for a lot of us. A lot of us, but you know what's so often funny is, is I don't think we ever really get there. I think that no matter what we have or what we do, you know, uh, my buddy Floyd um, bought a new truck. And so I've been in the process of him because his wife didn't have any time for all of that. I was in the process of looking at trucks with him and he would call me every day and we'd talk about it. And and. Floyd is very detail-oriented, and so he would have spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff, and would talk about it, and call this and call that, and and so, um, you know, he bought this really nice truck. He bought it, he had already, in his mind, he had it that, you know, he would buy the end year 2018 before the 2019 came out, so he would get a good deal, and so he figured, you know, he had his budget, what he wanted to spend, and finally got it, and the, this one day this week, I went over there to help him put some stuff on it, and, and I watched him, and you know, he had no greater joy then than he did searching for it, because that doesn't fulfill him. And I know he knows that, but it so we've tried to it, but 
we never seem to get full. We never seem to achieve the goal that we want. And why? Because I believe a lot of our earthly goals and dreams that we have are to fulfill a longing that only God can fulfill. In Ecclesiastes 3, he says that he's placed eternity in the hearts of you and I. And what does that mean to me? That means he's given us a longing for something so much more than what anything in this earth can fulfill. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have goals and dreams and all that. Teenagers, your goal should be to honor your parents and to make good grades. That should be your goal. Well, let me rephrase that. To honor God, by honoring God, you'll honor your parents and then make good grades. You know, I mean, we should have those goals. We should have those dreams. But we should realize that they are, if they take precedence over everything that we do, then we're missing the point. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it like this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. See, we all want the good life. Few of us really find it, and even fewer live up to it. And this is what God's been showing me through a series of, of devotionals and in my Bible reading, and then it kind of culminated it on one of the nights during Life Action when we began to look at a passage of Scripture in Jeremiah, and I want to share those things with you this morning. And, and here's the thing, is what I've come to realize is, and this is not groundbreaking, is I'm a created being. In Genesis 1, we read, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Ecclesiastes 3.11, as I referenced, says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to the end. You see, I'm a created being, and here's where I go with that is, is if I'm created, God created me. If I'm created, then, then who has a say-so for what I do and what I say? God, whoever created, Right? You know, when you create something like, you know, I really wanted to do this, but then I thought, no, because y'all would make a mess, and then I'd have to clean it up, is to give y'all all a little thing of Play-Doh and let you make something. And so I know Mr. Paul would make the cute little girl with the dress, you know, because he's, per and she'd be pink because he's, he's frilly like that, you know what I mean? And Miss Janice would make a gun, you know, and all that. Or maybe I got those backwards, but, but now... If Mr. Paul makes something with his Play-Doh, what does that Play-Doh do? Whatever Mr. Paul wants it to do, right? Why? Because Mr. Paul created it. You know, so if he wants that to sit on his dash, you know, it'll sit on his dash. If he wants to smush it up and make something different, he can do it. We, if I'm a created being, that means that I have a purpose from the Creator. And so my job is not to fulfill what I think I want and my goals and my dreams, I'll never, I'll never meet my purpose if I do that. That my purpose is, is to understand what God's will is for me, what his plans are for me. He said, let us make human beings in our image. Because see, if I had part of the creative process, I would change a few things about me. I know that's hard to believe, you know. But 
you know, I, I would not have sweaty hands. And the more nervous I get, the more sweaty they get, you know. And so don't ever shake my hand before I preach because they're going to be clammy. They're clammy right now. That's why they're in my pockets. I'm trying to warm them up. I'd be, I'd, I'd like to be at least six feet tall, you know. That's not in the cards. But, see, I didn't have that. I, and, and I didn't get a chance to have input in that. But God says he made me in his image, and he's made everything beautiful for its time. And so I need to realize that when God knows that God's created me, it brings some things to heart. This is it, is that not living to the reason for being created is missing the mark of why I was created. Ephesians 2 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he's planned for us long ago. Do you believe that? Do you believe I'm a masterpiece? You know, (laughs) well, maybe master is kind of strong, but do you believe that you're a masterpiece? See, here's the deal. We say we do. We read that passage and we think it's awesome and wonderful, but most of us don't live like we're a masterpiece. Like we're God's masterpiece, the creator of all creators, the God of all gods. There is no other name by which someone can be saved but by his name. There is no other name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, either willingly or unwillingly. There's no other name. He created you and he calls you a masterpiece and he calls me a masterpiece. That should change the way I live my life. It should change the way I go about it. See, the things I wanted to change about myself were shallow, weren't they? They were all external. They were all external. Never once did you hear me say that I wish God would change my heart. Because I know my heart's not perfect, but my heart is longing for God in in my life. See, he created us on purpose and for a purpose. First Peter says it like this, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Man, those are some strong words. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. See, knowing that God created me puts me in a position. I am chosen. I am chosen by God. He chose me on purpose. He chose me. And why? To bear God's glory. Romans 8, 29 says like this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. See, I have position because I'm created. God created me, and he created me on purpose, and he created me for a purpose. And he says that I am his, that I am chosen. He chose me on purpose. No longer do I have to worry about being the last one chosen to play a pickup game. And and as a young guy, isn't that one of the most embarrassing things? You know, apart from actually puking in front of a girl you like. But isn't that terrible? You know, if you're in the neighborhood and all the kids are playing and you're the last one picked, nobody wants to be that. See? God doesn't pick me and didn't pick me because of what I bring. He has a whole other set of rules. 1 Samuel 16 says, when he told Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see these things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
1 Corinthians affirms that. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. See, a lot of us struggle with believing that he chose us on purpose because we value ourselves based upon what the world says is valuable. And see, God uses a whole different set of rules. See, God's value for us is not because of us, but because of who he says we are. The creator of everything says you're perfect. The creator of everything says you are his masterpiece, that I'm his masterpiece. The creator of everything says that I am on his team, that he wants you to be on his team. His value system is different, and so that gives us belonging. See, I have a place in God's family. The creator created me and gave me a place in that heart cry seen in Isaiah 43. He says, but now, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Sheba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. But all who claim me as their God Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. What an incredible story that God says to Isaiah, to the people of Israel. I'm calling them back. Even though they've strayed from me, I'm calling them back. They are mine. I call them by my name. I paid a ransom from them. He gave other nations in their place, but yet he paid a greater ransom for me and you by giving us his precious son, Jesus. He says, Bill... I pay for you, not because you deserve it. I gave the best gift that could ever be given, the Holy Son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for you. I showed you my value for you, Bobby. I've given my life for you. This is what I did through Jesus. See, we belong to God. I belong to God. And that price that he paid for me was a pretty big price, was it not? That price that he paid for you was a pretty big price, was it not? I dare say it was a debt. I could not pay. Uh, what's that old song? I owed a debt. I could not pay. He paid a debt. He washed my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Anybody know that song? No? Anybody know it? I was pretty close. It's an incredible song. It talks about us belonging to God. And not only that, do we have a belonging, we have a purpose. I have a purpose. First Peter again says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. See, God's given me a purpose. My creator says I belong to him. 
my creator says that I have a position. I'm chosen by him. But he also says I have a purpose. And that's a very specific purpose. It's a higher calling than what I can achieve on my own. It's a higher calling than living for Bobby Miller. It's to declare the glory of God. That's why he says you're a chosen people, royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. To do what? To declare the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you receive God's mercy. See, God's given us a calling, given me a calling to be a royal priesthood, to be set apart, to be a holy nation. He's called me to do things that other people cannot do for themselves. And see, and that's, that's the problem is that we're wanting the lost world to not be lost and to not act lost. But they can't help be lost because they're lost and they act like lost people. But we as Christians struggle when we live in this world that's lost and we want it to not be lost. Well, the problem is, is the world around us needs to see people living not lost lives, saved lives. They need people to live, to be set apart, to answer the calling that God's given on them, to intercede on behalf of people, to do what priests do. See, like I told Jason, he's a priestly gas pumper. Did y'all know that? In Thomasville, we have a holy set-apart pumper of gas. We do. And God brings a set of people around his path that he might not ever bring around my path. And Lord knows what kind of baggage they bring just besides an empty gas tank. They bring empty lives that are broken, that are hurting, that are despondent, that are in despair. Maybe at the brink of wanting to give up. That don't know where to turn or where to go. And he rolls them into Jack's BP and out rolls out in his little uniform a priestly gas pumper. And God's called him to intercede on behalf of those people, like they, even though they might not deserve it. Everyone that goes by a gas station that pumps gas, I believe Jason prays for them. God, I don't know what's going on in their life, but maybe they see something different. And you know, people are watching. I walked out of the locker room at Thomas County Central High School two weeks ago, and I don't get five steps out of the locker room, and this woman pulls up to meet her kid, and she says, you're the, ch- you're the chaplain, aren't you? I said, well, yes, I'm. She says, I just knew it, and I don't even know who you are. I said, watch this, just the way you carry yourself. I walked five feet. But somehow, someway, God put on her heart who I was. She said, I just want you to know I appreciate everything that you're doing. See, God's called me to be a priest to intercede. He's called, called me to be a priest for my family. And see, this is the thing that I have when Life Action came 10 years ago, was it 10 years ago, 12 years ago? A long time ago, back in the day almost. That little so-and-so from Louisiana, Lane, got up, and he began to talk about valuing his wife. And he spouted off of how that he always opens the door for his wife. Well, I didn't really hear that part too clearly, but my bride did. I mean, listen, y'all, the next day, somehow we were riding together, and she stood out by the car, by her door, and I stood, got in the car and turned it on. I said, 
get in, we got to go. She just sat there. She stood outside. Get in, we got to go. I hit the unlock button to make sure it wasn't locked. She still stood there. Get in, honey, it's time to go. And she just stood there and looked at me with the most pitiful face I've ever seen. You know, and, and I'm like, what? She goes, do you not value me? Huh. Uh, no, not enough to get out of the car. I already buckled in. The air was on. So I said, yes, I do. And pulled my belt off and walked over there and unlocked the door and shoved it a little bit harder than I needed to. And did it. No, no. And I'm going to tell you, she did that to me because I'm a hard learner. I'm dumb, okay? I mean, I'm going to admit, I ain't the sharpest pencil in the pack. You know what I'm saying? And she did that probably six or seven months. I told you, I'm a slow learner. And, and, I, and maybe it was a year that I, that I could finally, I shouldn't have to ask her anymore. And I would go and I would open the door for her. Why? Because I value her. Because God's given her to me. And he commands me to love her. It's a pleasure to love her. Now when I do it, it's fun. It's fun. See, I used to make a joke about, I value you, honey. Oh, no, I value you. You know, that was my way to kind of get around still being mad about doing it. But, but now I know he's given me a calling to love her. And that's just one of the things. That now it's a joy. It's become a joy. Like Lee said, it's become a joy to study his word. And it is a joy. But it's become a joy to love on my wife. And I'm going to tell you, that's 30 years of marriage. And I'm just now being able to say that. You know, I'm told you I'm a slow learner. But he's given me a calling, a purpose to be a royal priest, to, to show people, to intercede on behalf of my family, to intercede on behalf of my children. To, be, to intercede on behalf of these knotheads who I think are incredibly awesome. And for those of you that don't see what I'm saying, I'm talking about the teenagers. To pray for them, to worship, to lead them, wor- what it means to worship, to minister, to live the right way that God's called me to live. See, my creator has called me and given me a purpose. He's chosen me. And he says, Bobby, I'm set you apart to minister to people, to, to show my glory, to be an example of God's glory. To administer the sacraments on behalf of God's people, even when they don't deserve it. To love on people, to love on the lost. See, I got to hate the sin, but I got to love the sinner. Jesus did. See, I get that backwards sometimes. I want to hate the sin and the sinner. But that's not his model. See, living up to his purpose for me. His purpose for you is everything. Why? Because God's placed eternity in our hearts. That desire to live for him. But this is the thing that really struck me at Life Action. Is that I'm convinced a lot of us aren't living up to that calling. And he shared that with me in Jeremiah chapter 2. And we'll talk about it in a little bit. And there's a couple of reasons. And I just want to flesh these out. Real quick, oh, I got some time. I want to flesh these out real quick because I really think that there's a lot more meat that maybe if God gives me another opportunity, we can talk about it a little bit more. But I think there's a lot of reasons why we don't live the good life. And one of the first ones is, is we're distracted. We're distracted by the cares of the world. In Matthew chapter 13, he talks about that. He gives the parable. Jesus teaches them a parable about the sower and the seed. 
And then later on in that chapter, beginning in verse 18, he begins to explain it, and this is what he says. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear, who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. You see, I believe, and this is what God told me, is, Bob, you're not living up to your calling because you're distracted. And I think that's what hits a lot of us in Thomasville and Thomas County. If you look at each other, we're, a flu- we're an affluent congregation. Now, I believe we're filled with blue-collar workers, you know, good old boys and good old girls that go out there and work hard and, and, and live honestly. And so, but can we not say we've been blessed abundantly? Amen. Amen. And so we have so many good things, sporting events. We have, you guys have some of the smartest teenagers I've been around, and truthfully, they're smarter than I'm ever going to be. Matter of fact, I don't even try anymore. See, I don't even try anymore. They're just so smart. But yet, and they're busy, and there's so much going on. It's not just bad things of being distracted, but if, if it's not somebody being sick or somebody being hurt or a drama or, or a conflict or something like that, there's a sporting event or a hunting thing to do or a vacation to take or a civic event or a social responsibility to do. And next thing you know, we have all of these distractions and we really don't have time for God. And so when we do come to church and we do get a word from him, as soon as we get out the door, it's gone. Why? Because we pick right back up all the busyness and all the distraction that we have going on in our lives. And so we miss the point of really living up to the calling that God has put on our life. And that's what he said in Matthew 6. Don't worry about all those things. See, we need to be like this little flower right here. Isn't this awesome? Do you think that's a weed? You know, I know it ain't poison ivy. Um, But, you know, I broke a sweat digging it up because I thought it was going to be easy. But, I mean, the ground was so hard and so rocky and there's just a bunch of rocks and everything. But look at that. Look at those flowers. They're pretty and purple. So small. You probably would walk over it. But yet, you know, this flower, it gets its purpose, doesn't it? Now, I mean, it doesn't think. I know that. But what is this flower? What did God create this flower to do? Exactly what it's doing. Looking all nice and purpley growing where I guarantee you the only water it's gotten is when it's rained and the rock is so hard I can't believe it it can grow in it and I'm gonna try to put it back and watch it and see if it lives I, I doubt it will but how long does this flower exist not very long but you know what it's doing as long as it God's ordained it because it's a, in Matthew 6 it says look at it it's here today and tomorrow it's gone 
But as long as it has its time, it's doing what? Exactly what God created it to do. Isn't that funny? All the inanimate, you know, the birds, the, the flowers, the mountains, the streams, all that kind of stuff. The, the waves that splash up on the, on, the ocean, on the shore time after time after time. What are they doing? They're showing the glory of God. The stars in the sky, what do they do night after night after night after night after night? Declaring the glory of God. That's why they're there, is to declare the glory of God. And so of all creation is doing what it's created to do, even this little insignificant flower that many of us would just go by. See, it's got some buddies out the back. It wasn't just the only one, but it does exactly what God's called it to do. And when we get distracted, we miss the point. And I dare say that this little flower is more connected in doing what God designed it to do than you and I. You see, God's blessings have become a stumbling block, and that's what he was saying in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says, listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death where no one lives or even travels? And when I brought you into the fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I have promised you. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me, and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. Therefore, I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring my charge against your children's children in years to come. And that, that's what God really showed me this past week. It was his blessing, his affluence that, that gave way to opportunity for the people to turn from him. It wasn't hard times. It was the good times. And, and what did he say? They chased after worthless idols only to become what? Worthless themselves. And when we get distracted and we're not about being the people of God that he's called us to be, we're missing our point of existence and we will become what? Worthless. Man, I don't want to be worthless. Not only that, maybe it's ignorance. Maybe we're unaware of unconscious of what God has that I believe, and I believe with some heart, that still there are many Christians today that are babies. They've never spiritually matured. They never got past Jesus' days. And I don't want to ever in my heart get past Jesus' days. That's why I always pray the prayer of salvation every time it's offered. I know I'm saved without a shadow of a doubt. I know my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but just one more time I want to tell God how awesome he is and what he's done for me. I want to acknowledge it. But yet we got to go past that. We got to deepen our walk with the Lord. We got to expand our palate past baby's milk and devotionals. You know, I've been reading the Bible with someone who's a learned person. They have a couple of degrees, even a doctorate degree. Have you ever heard that saying the, that the ground is always level at the cross? And I always took that, and I believe it's true, to mean that that no matter who you are, man, you've got a place at the cross. 
that Jesus has made a way, and I believe that on my heart, but here's another thing I believe is, is that it doesn't matter how smart you are or how many degrees that you have, if you don't do the time and spend time in God's Word, you're never going to understand it. So here I'm reading the Bible with this, el- with this educated person, and he can't even understand the, the basics of spiritual truths because he's never learned to dig in the Word. He's still a spiritual baby in a lot of ways. He still has some spiritual immaturity, and we don't believe and we don't understand what God has for us, but he has so much more. Yes, Jesus saves, but he is also Lord. He has a plan. But not only that, maybe we're reluctant. Maybe we're unwilling or disinclined or unenthusiastic or resistant or opposed or even hesitant to what God has in store for us. See, the rich young ruler was unwilling, wasn't he? Or maybe we're unenthusiastic because the cost is too high. And the cost is high. It's going to cost you something. You're not going to get you're not going to get spiritual gains by just putting your Bible under your pillow. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You've got to open it up. You've got to read it. You've got to struggle with the truths of God. You've got to ask the question. You've got to allow him to teach you. Or maybe we're resistant. Maybe just the allure of the world is too strong. Or maybe we have an unbelieving heart. It's too good to be true. It is too good to be true. It's not too good to be truth, because it is truth, but it is too good for us to understand it with our finite minds. God is awesome. He does love us. He has chosen us. He has a plan for us. He's got a calling and a purpose for our lives. Now, why he does? Because he's God. So the question I have, and the question that's been brought to to my life lately is, am I really experiencing the power of living the good life? See, there's no other life. There's no, there is another life, but there's no better life than the life in Christ. There's no better life than the life in Christ where everlasting peace that passes the ability to understand difficult situations that come our way. The, that carry us through the difficult times. See, when we, when we experience the power of living the good life, it brings power. It brings purpose. It brings security and value and meaning to our lives. And you say, but my life is so insignificant. Is this flower insignificant? It caught my attention. It caught my attention. And you know what? When I look at it, there's more imagination and creativity in that than I have in in any part of my being. I couldn't have made it look that pretty. And you know what's funny is you can take a picture of it and it'll never look the same as it does with the eyes that God has given us. You know, that flower is living up to that. We ought to live up that. It brings us power. It brings us purpose. It brings us meaning. And so the question, church, today is, is will we not live up to our calling? See, we are all created. Everyone in here was created by God on purpose, for a purpose. And that's to be a living, enter into a love relationship with him and live a life that brings glory and honor to him, that shows a watching and a wanting world that he, that he saves, that, that he has the way for us. Will we live that life? Are you being distracted? Are the cares of this world, and there are a bunch of them, are they too much for you? Has God blessed you with too much? And all of that he's blessed you with?
has led you farther from him and not closer to him? God's calling me and God's calling you to not live a life that's not worth why he created it. I don't want to be worth less than what he created me to be. And, and I don't want our church to be worth less than what he created it to be. I don't want these students, and that's the whole point of everything we do, is to hope that you guys get to get the big picture that God loves you, desires an intimate relationship with you, one that changes your life, and that he wants you to live a life worth why he created you. So as Brian and June come and lead us for a time of invitation, you have a time that you can respond to God. Like I've been trying to respond to God. God, I don't have it all figured out, but every day I want to walk a little bit closer to living a life that's worth what you've created me for. A life that lives to bring you honor and glory. And I believe that's the heart cry of this church. We don't get it right, but we're walking that direction. And you know what? We had a great recharge these last four days with Life Action Thirst Conference to help us say once again to put some things to the side and say, Jesus is worth it. He's worth the sacrifice. He's worth the time. Maybe this is a church home for you that you want to be a part of that, that will help you in your walk with the Lord. Wherever God finds you today, whatever decision he places before you, there's no greater time to make that decision than right now. So as we stand and Brian leads, you follow God and you make the decision that he's called you to make. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fire.